morning, everybody. Our primary scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that even the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to harm himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Parkside. So I feel like it's completely unfair when the band is so good and the readers are so good, and then the preacher is just emotionally wrecked right as we are walking on the stage. So could we give our kiddos a round of applause so I can collect myself for a few minutes? (laughs) They did a great job. So as Colin said, I am the campus ministry director at the College of Charleston for Empower and then also at the Citadel for Journey. And I am really, really excited about what God is doing in the lives of these students and that they get to share some of that with you today. As Beth mentioned in her Q&A, I kind of do let the girls do whatever they want. They kind of get free reign. And last year, it was the beginning of August, and they're like, you know what we want to do? We want to study the toughest, most difficult passages in scripture and the hardest theological concepts ever. And I was like, okay, we'll give it a whirl. And so we did. And so we were meeting in our coffee shop Bible studies and it was going really, really well. So I thought until about the first week of November. And I showed up to the Bible study, it was a Tuesday, and I had my my tea and I was ready to teach some tough theological concepts, and nobody showed up. And I was like, oh no, oh no, I have done something really, really wrong here. And so I waited, and I waited, and still nobody showed up. So I sent a group text, and I was like... So is anybody coming to Bible study today? And I think it was Haley or maybe Beth that wrote back first and was like, actually, I can't make it. I'm stuck in my dorm room. I'm trying to get Taylor Swift era's tour tickets. And if I leave my dorm room, I'm going to lose the internet connection. And then I'm at the bottom of the queue again. And then in the group text, it was like, same, samesies. And I was like, Oh, okay. Phew, I was so relieved for a second. I thought like, oh my gosh, am I the problem? I'm the problem. It's me. But it was definitely not me. It was, it was Taylor Swift is the problem. But it did make me ponder why a group of kids would miss their classes, 
would miss their favorite Bible study to be trapped in a Ticketmaster queue? Why would Swifties travel across state lines to sit in the nosebleed section of an auditorium just to be in the same room as Taylor Swift? Or why Swifties, like me, would also travel across state lines to sit in a parking lot just to be within a two-mile radius of Taylor Swift? Yes, yes, we did that. And I think it's because we were made to worship. We were made to sing, we were made to praise, we were made to shout and give glory to something or to someone. In our first scripture reading, the prophet Isaiah is trying to communicate the heart of God to a people who were once sold out worshipers. And they're still worshiping, they're just not showing up to temple anymore, they're not offering sacrifices. And God reminds the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah that they were a people chosen by him, the people made for God's self, a people custom made to praise. But the words of God through Isaiah actually take a darker, more heartbreaking turn as God laments, but you didn't pay any bit of attention to me. You so quickly tired of me You couldn't be bothered anymore with sacrifices. And it wasn't that I asked that much from you. I didn't expect an expensive present. But you didn't even do the minimum. The people of God that were custom made to worship God just stopped gathering for worship at all. They forgot the why of their worship and perhaps even the who they were worshiping. According to the Pew Research Center, this group that does all these studies on the American religious landscape, we too, as Americans, are also forgetting the why of our worship. The number of Americans statistically who report that they attend some sort of religious service, either online or in person, just once a month, is decreasing year by year. The number of American adults who say that they never attend religious services, either online or in person, has been increasing by about six percentage points every decade. And the demographic that is most likely to check the box for non-religious or non-worshippers are Gen Zers, those between the ages of 11 and 26, followed closely by millennials, those between the ages of 27 and 42. We, like the Israelites, collectively, seem to be growing tired of worship. We're growing tired of worshiping God. Like the Israelites, perhaps we are forgetting the why of our worship, and even, perhaps, the who of our worship. So this morning, I'd like for us to try to reclaim maybe the why. And I think a good place for us to start is in the book of Acts. 
So the book of Acts is written, it chronicles the adventures of the disciples and the followers and the worshipers of Jesus post Jesus' death and resurrection. So these are the first worshipers, the first church goers. And Paul and Silas, who are apostles or leaders in the church, are going to minister in a place called Philippi. So this is not their first rodeo. They've been working in the Middle East, but this is their first attempt to take the gospel out of the Middle East and into Europe. And while they have faced religious persecution before, they are now faced with new troubles in Philippi. And like I said, Paul is no stranger to jail time. Paul has a very long rap sheet and will continue. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are Bible scholars. Colin got it. He got this one. But this time, while they're in Philippi, while they're usually arrested for crimes against religious laws, they are arrested for crimes against civil disobedience. What happens earlier in Acts is they attempt to and successfully rescue a young girl who is being trafficked both emotionally and economically and spiritually by local businessmen. And the reward for the good deed is that they are arrested, they are beaten, and thrown into a Roman prison where they're shackled against the stone walls both by their hands and their feet. And we read in scripture, verse 25, that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. In their lowest moment, they begin to worship. And it seems a little out of place considering the context. Why in the world would they want to worship? I think it's because when we worship, it brings healing and hope to us, particularly in life's most difficult moments. I was doing research for this sermon And I came across a really cool study, and they have discovered through modern science that when we worship or when we sing or when we corporately get together and pray, it actually increases the love hormones in our body, so serotonin and oxytocin. And when those hormones increase, it can actually reduce your stress levels and relieve physical pain. This is why music therapy has become so popular now in the United States. And this is why Paul and Silas are singing and praying. But what was even more fascinating to me about this study is that we've discovered that when the love hormone oxytocin rises during group prayer and worship, that love hormone can create an emotional bond between the people worshiping together in the room. So when you were singing Just now, you are creating an emotional bond with each other. And also, apparently, when we worship and sing, our heartbeats begin to sync up with one another. I think that was pretty cool. And you can see this happening even in our scripture passage when the scriptures report that during the spontaneous worship set, the prisoners were listening to them The word for listening here is to listen with intent, or another translation, to listen with your whole heart engaged. The hearts of the people in the prison were syncing up with the hearts of the followers of Christ. So why do we worship? Because when we worship, even from our lowest place, 
It spiritually and emotionally lifts us all up from our darkest place. And if you'll allow me to be just a little bit vulnerable with you this morning, there have been several times since leading worship here at Parkside that I've come into this room early on a Sunday morning to an empty sanctuary, and I've been in a low place. It's been a dark place. But you know what pulled me up out of that? It was you. It was you. It was your worship. It was you singing the songs back to me. It was our service team praying in that side room five minutes before service and speaking life over one another. It was seeing you come down that line to receive the Eucharist in faith. And I know that some of you, the faith that it takes for you to get up out of your seat and come down to take communion is a lot because you've been through a lot. But that has lifted me. You have inspired me. As Pastor Cullen says every week before communion, he encourages you to come down to the table, carried along by the faith of those next to you. So I want you to know that many days, you all have carried my faith. But at the end of the day, if that's all that worship does, if it just makes us feel good, it gives us happy love hormones, and it bonds us together, then really there's no difference between Christians worshiping God and Swifties at a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, am I right? So it can kind of do the same thing. I mean, you get the, the boost of serotonin, the feel-good stuff. And to be quite honest, nobody is more bonded than a group of Taylor Swift fans. I mean, goodness gracious, poor Jake Gyllenhaal, bless his heart. He is going to get jumped in a back alley by a bunch of 13-year-old Taylor Swift fans, it's going to be a bad day. going to be a bad day for Jake Gyllenhaal. Bless his heart. We'll pray for him. <laughs> but when we worship, not a musician or a celebrity, but the living triune God, something supernatural happens in us and through us. Verse 26 of Acts tells us, and suddenly... And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's, everyone's bonds were unfastened. So to understand how this is working, the way that the Roman prisons were set up, they were set up on large stone foundations. So that when you were chained to your prison cell, the chains weren't drilled into the wall. They were crushed between two large stones. So the chains that held your feet were not drilled into the stones. They were held together by two large foundational stones. The gates that kept you in your prison cell were held together by the stones. And what I think is amazing about this passage is that when God does this miracle, the chains don't explode, the chains don't disappear, the foundations move. The foundations move just enough to break the chains free. So why do we worship? Because when we worship, 
The foundations of our heart and soul begin to move and spiritual and emotional chains that bind us are loosed. And I don't know how to fully explain this, if I'm being honest. But I have both personally seen and experienced God do the miraculous through a community of worshipers. When we worship and pray and proclaim the word over one another, whether it's online or in person or in our small groups or at the citadel or in empower groups, the foundations of our heart and soul are shaken. When we worship, the chains of depression, anxiety, loneliness, resentment, bitterness, fear, addiction, and debilitating shame are loosened as the Spirit works in and through us to shake the foundations. Because when we worship, that love hormone, the one that binds us all together, is also binding us to a living and loving God. See, the word of God tells us that when we worship and pray, we are not just shouting into the void, but that God is in our midst. When we are worshiping and gathering, God is with us. He's a mighty one who will save us. When we worship, he will rejoice over you with gladness. When you worship, he will quiet you by his love and exult over you with his own loud singing. The author of Psalm 32 reminds us that even in our deepest distress, God surrounds us with songs of deliverance. And I don't know who needs to hear that today. I don't know who needs to hear that those times that you've been shouting out and praying out into the void, you are not alone. God was in your midst. I promise you, he was with you. Those times that you have worshipped and you just haven't felt it, you haven't felt God with you, God was singing songs of deliverance over you. But here's the even more wondrous part. When your worship invokes supernatural deliverance in your life, It creates a ripple effect, not just through your community, but even to the outside world, even to your enemies. So when I was reading Acts 16, I've read this story before, but there was something that stood out to me that I did not notice the other times that I had read this story. In our story, we read that Paul and Silas, they sang, the prisoners listened, They listened with their whole hearts, they were filled, they were delivered from their chains, the foundation shook. But one person was left out of this. It's the jailer. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to harm himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, Lords, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe 
in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, the jailer was the one person in this story that missed the spontaneous worship set. The jailer missed the corporate bonding time, and the jailer didn't have any chains that were miraculously loosed from the stones. In fact, he was the one responsible for keeping them in the chains. And yet the impact, the impact of the worship and the supernatural deliverance brought him to his knees. The man that had been responsible for putting the chains of oppression on others now recognized that he too needed deliverance. Bible scholars point out that when the jailer falls before the feet of Paul and Silas, the Greek word he uses to address them implies an acknowledgement of great superiority. In other words, those who had been his prisoners are now his lords. So why do we worship? Because when we worship, not only do the foundations of our own spiritual and emotional bondage begin to break and loosen, but the foundations of oppression and opposition begin to be overturned. There's a saying at the Citadel that no one is more religious than a knob. And what they mean by that is that when you are a knob or a freshman at the Citadel, you have basically zero safety, zero autonomy, zero freedom, zero rights. You are 100% at the mercy of the upperclassmen, and it's a hard time, with the exception of when you go into a worship gathering, like how we do on Monday nights. And those gatherings, they represent not the fourth-class system, but they represent the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the least are the greatest. So in the worship gatherings, the knobs are safe. They are served first. They are treated with respect by the upperclassmen. But as these cadets get older and older, year after year, less of them come back because they don't need to anymore. They don't need a safe place. And so they kind of just ghost. And last year, we were talking with a group of cadets um, who were knobs. They were being picked on pretty heavily by the upperclassmen for going to religious services. And they said, you know what? We're going to prove them wrong. We're going to keep showing up. We're going to keep coming to worship nights every Monday night, week after week, year after year. They were going to prove their oppressors wrong. And can I tell you, the work that we've done at the Citadel, I have seen that be the case. The ones that show up year after year, not because they have to, but because they want to, shut the mouths of the oppressors around them and earn their respect. And in fact, we've even had some of those oppressors come into worship with us. And at Parkside, for you all, it's similar. I know that some of y'all are new around here, um, but in case you don't know, we are somewhat of the black sheep in the church family in Charleston because we do things that are, like, clearly unbiblical. I mean, they let women preach here. 
I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, we, we welcome everybody, regardless of, <laughs> of race. Yeah, orientation, gender expression, everyone is welcome. We even serve mimosas in the fellowship hall afterwards. The Southern Baptists are just losing their mind all the time, all the time over this. We break a lot of rules. And there are people who have come in here very skeptical of this church. There have been people, you may not know, that have come in here very skeptical of you. And they're watching you. They want to check it out and see what this church is all about. But every time one of those people have come in here, they have left changed because of you, because of your worship. You have been a part of overturning religious oppression and opposition in this city because of the beautiful ways that you worship Jesus. And I couldn't be more proud of that. I was having coffee with Emma, one of my Empower students this week, and as you can tell, she is a worshiper. She is a diehard worshiper and one that I respect quite a bit. And so I wanted to get her opinion on, on the sermon and her thoughts about worship, and I'm like, I just don't know how to end it. How do I like land this thing and, and conclude it? Um, and she was like, why don't you give them a challenge? And I was like, that's good. You're very smart. Emma's very smart. And she said, challenge them to find the why of their worship. And so, per Emma's orders, I want to challenge you this week to meditate on the why for your worship. Perhaps you want to worship or need to worship because you need healing. You need hope. You're in a dark place and you just need to feel some sort of release from that pain. Perhaps you just want to find a community. You just need some spiritual bonding with others and with God. Perhaps it's a supernatural deliverance from the chains that are holding you down and holding you back. Perhaps you just need to feel the foundations of your heart and soul shake and move. Or maybe you're ready to shake the foundations of oppression and opposition. You're like, let's go. I wanna prove the world wrong about Jesus. I wanna show the world who this God is. But whatever that is, whatever your why for worship is during this season, my prayer for you is that we become a people who don't just grow tired of worshiping God, but we become a people who, as Jesus commanded us, worship in spirit and in truth for all the days of our lives. Not actually a Swifty, but Sydney made me bracelets uh, like a year or so ago, and so I feel very on brand today. (laughs) All right, we've got some tough questions for you, Aaron. The Lords that the jailer says was possessive on the screen, 
Was he referring to Paul and Silas as lords, or was he recognizing them as belonging to the Lord? Okay, that's a good question. And I love it, by the way, when y'all text in clarifying questions about Scripture, because Scripture can be confusing, so it's good to kind of get a clarification. Um, So the Greek word that they're using for lords, which I can't pronounce because I haven't taken Greek in school yet, um, is one of high high respect and authority. So um, the jailer would have seen Paul and Silas as just kind of these pathetic nobodies. And then all of a sudden, he's using a word that he would have given to his boss or to a Roman magistrate. And so I think it's an interesting flip of respect that happens. So I don't know that um, the jailer is recognizing them as belonging to God as much as he's like, hey, these guys are connected to something very powerful um, and very freeing, and I want to know how to be a part of that. I wouldn't be able to pronounce the Greek word either. All right. Would you say from God's perspective that he demands us to worship him? Doesn't that sound unhealthy? I think that's a good, yeah, a very good question. Um, It can appear sometimes in scripture that God is like, oh, I need you to worship me because God like might have an ego problem or something. Um, But really when you dive into it, what you see is God doesn't need our worship. God is fully... Um, comfortable with God's self. God is happy within the relationship of the Trinity. But God, like a parent to a child, wants to pour out God's love on God's children. And so to do so, the children have to be receptive in giving that love as well. Um, and so God, is not, God does not demand our love. God is not a narcissist in any way, shape, or form. Um, God just has a lot of love he wants to give us And part of the ways that we can enter into that is through worship. All right, last question. You're doing great so far. All right, why do you think Paul and Silas didn't see the supernatural earthquake as validation that they were wrongfully imprisoned and just leave their oppressor? Yeah, because I totally would have done that. I would have been like, I'm I'm free from jail. I'm going to make a run for it. And so I think that Paul and Silas particularly Paul, has an understanding that the kingdom is greater than even his circumstances. And so he recognizes, wait, there's an opportunity here to actually share the gospel. So everybody could have run, but in Roman culture, if the jailer did not keep the people in prison, the law was that the jailer then became the prisoner himself. And Paul would have understood that. Paul would have understood that if I run, this jailer who's been asleep is now going to be the one in my chains. And so Paul makes the decision to be like, you know what, I'm gonna take a risk on this and see what happens. Um, And it's a beautiful example of enemy love, I think. Yeah, I can't imagine being that good of a person. I totally would have ran. Thank you so much for answering these questions. And I would like to be bold and ask that you answer the rest of these questions tomorrow Tomorrow. on Facebook Live. Sorry, Colin, but there are some Swifty questions, and I just don't think you could nail those. (laughs) Y'all continue to text in your questions, and Aaron will answer them tomorrow on Facebook Live.